Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hello and welcome to Movies vs. Capitalism, an anti-capitalist movie podcast. I am Frank Capello. And I'm Rithka Rivera. Hey Frank, how's it going? Going all right. A little bit of a stressful, exhausted middle of the week right now. You know, it's everything's good. Life is good. Life is. I'm. You know, I'm very. I'm a very lucky, grateful person in my life. Um, but you know, sometimes the work and the the money stuff, and really like the way that life is organized in our in our in our current capitalist society, really makes really makes things very difficult sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're like, how is one person supposed to be able to do all this? And then you remember. We're not supposed to be doing all of this. Right. So I'm in a little bit in the middle of that, but feeling generally okay about it. So what are some things that um, are helping you in those moments when you remember that you're not supposed to do it all alone? I think just realizing that, remembering that, you know, the kind of like the way that we have organized our economy and our work life in this world is not natural. Mm-hmm. Um, that helps. And then also remembering that, you know, everyone goes through this. Everyone feels these things. And when you're in the middle of feeling them, you feel very alone. And then also just really taking stock in the things that do bring me joy. So, you know, like doing this recording with you. I was, you know, there was a little bit there, earlier in the day. I was like, oh, man, I was, I'm so like tired and stressed. And I was like, no, but I love doing this. So, you know, just really. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I have uh, parts of my life and my work life that I do really enjoy. So that helps. Agreed. I think recently I've I've had many moments where I've just found myself in deep gratitude for how many for the communities I'm in and how sacred I hold those communities. And just anytime I get to find myself literally in like the architecture of a circle with a group of people talking, even if it's just like hanging out with friends and laughing or in a meeting talking about something or with a theater group, whatever it is like that, those are the times where I just feel like this is where I am at most peace and most happy. And um, I definitely was never told that in the, in the, um, well, that's not true. There were spaces in my life where I inherited that and understood that, but predominantly it's definitely antithetical to the idea of you got this on your own. Don't share your problems with anyone. Pretend everything's mm. okay and go, go, go. And I know that that's a theme that keeps coming up in the films that we watch, that like the films that we seem to really gravitate towards are the ones that have the message about community and how important it is to remember that we are intersectional and literally can't do anything on our own. So yeah. that that being said, um, there was a, a, a viral clip going around this week that I would that I'm like I was really excited to talk to you about. So yeah, it's pretty nauseating. So for for you may have seen it, you may have not. We're, we'll play a clip from it, but it's of this woman named Andy Andy Owen, Andy with an I. I don't know why I felt the need to say that. I just feel like if we're painting the villain character here, we have to. It's Andy with an I, Owen, mm-hmm. who she is the CEO of Miller Knoll, a multi-million dollar furniture company, and she basically canceled all of her employee bonuses, even though, according to Fortune magazine, Owen received three point nine million in incentive pay last year on top of her one point one 
million fixed salary. So canceling everyone's bonuses, even though she's receiving a ridiculous amount of money and bonus money on her own. And so this clip was, I guess it was someone leaked it, but this is her talking to her employees in like a virtual town hall in March. And let's just let's play it. Great question, Chris. And, you know, a lot of questions came through about how can we stay motivated if we're not going to get a bonus? What can we do? What can we do? Some of them were nice and some of them were not so nice. So I'm going to address this head on. The most important thing we can do right now is focus on the things that we can control. None of us could have predicted COVID. None of us could have predicted supply chain. None of us could have predicted bank failures. But what we can do is stay in front of our customers, provide the best customer service we can, get our orders out our door, treat each other well, be kind, be respectful, focus on the future because it will be bright. It's not good to be in a situation we're in today, but we're not going to be here forever. It is going to get better. So lead, lead by example, treat people well, talk to them, be kind and get after it. Don't ask about what are we going to do if we don't get a bonus? Get the damn $26 million. Spend your time and your effort thinking about the $26 million we need and not thinking about what you're going to do if we don't get a bonus. All right? Can I get some commitment for that? I would appreciate that. I had an old boss who said to me one time, you can visit Pity City, but you can't live there. So people, leave Pity City. Let's get it done. Thank you. Have a great day. Oh, my God. Like, you couldn't get Kate Blanchett to perform that monologue that well. That was incredible. 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 What was your favorite? We're going to get into the politics of this, but just like, what was your favorite moment? Performance-wise. Performance-wise is when she's like yelling, but then she comes back down here for a second. Oh, so good. Absolutely my favorite moment as well. Pity City. That My new vocal warm-up, like, pity city, pity city, pity city. <laughs> It's the it's the her holding it in with this like spa library voice that's like, but it's just continually gets just a little bit more and more and more enraged until it comes out. And then she has to like pull it back in. I mean, it's really it's really cringe. I mean, that's what's so striking about this is that this woman clearly feels like she is the victim or she is like presenting herself. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm maybe I'm like speculating, putting words in her mouth, but like. The defensiveness in which she is going after her staff. I don't think you're putting words in her mouth. That's exactly what she's doing. Okay, great. Like she is fucking Atlas carrying the world on her shoulder. And it's just, it's her difficult lot in life to get the productivity out of her employees, her ungrateful employees who don't want to work because they're not going to get more money. Like what? Capitalism and and the defenders of capitalism will use every single like bit of like botched logic to justify this thing. One thing we always hear is how are people going to work unless they have incentive? You know, people Mm -hmm. need incentive. They need monetary incentive. No one socialism wouldn't work because communism wouldn't work because where's the incentive? Mm -hmm. And then you see something like this with a CEO of a company basically saying to her employees, Look, I know there's not going to be any incentive, but you should be working anyway. You should be working really hard because that's how the what you do when you're an employee. You work really hard for the company, even if there is no incentive. And it's like you can't have it both ways. It's absolutely insane. It's absolutely psychotic. And also the fact that you're like, you have gotten your bonus. It makes me think about the scene we talked about in Triangle of Sadness 
where, um, <laughs> you know, just like it's so it's literally her standing there like I have mounds and mounds of fish that you caught. But like you better mm. go out there and catch more fish. And like, how dare you even ask me about my fish and then be sad about it? Like, get, get you know, it's just and the, she's talking to them. It's so demeaning, too. She's speaking to her employees like children like like the issue is that they're yeah. having a bad attitude. I mean, just so many layers of just and the cluelessness. And then so then she did. I I read um, she came out and apologized like it. Oh, right. And it's just the apology. Even it's just so it's so crazy. And she's just says, um, I want to be transparent and empathetic. <laughs> Anyone who says I want to be empathetic is like a red flag, right? You're like. <laughs> That you just have to be like, I want to be empathetic. I'm just having, uh, uh, and I don't know how to do that. Is what it is how it comes across. The PR firm I hired told me I should be empathetic, so I am going to yeah, write that. I I would like to be that thing. And as I continue to reflect on this instance, I'm going to try and do her voice. I feel terrible that my rallying cry seemed insensitive. What I'd hoped would energize the team to meet a challenge we've met many times before landed in a way that. I did not intend, and for that, I'm sorry. What a load of bullshit. What a load of bullshit. I No, what she's saying is she's like, I just didn't think anyone would leak this and catch me in my bullshit. Like, it's so... <laughs> so I'm really glad we did. And, like, this is the moment when I'm like, you know, people have feelings about, quote-unquote, cancel culture, and I get it. But, like, this is where cancel culture... I mean, I don't really get... I have mixed feelings, but, like, I guess... No, I don't like this is what cancel culture is good for. Like cancel her. <laughs> cancel her. Unfortunately, yes. like she won't be. No, because there was nothing like, um, you know, there was nothing like outwardly abusive or uh, illegal about this. It was just like completely, uh, completely oblivious and self-centered. And but the part that's revealed that's disgusting is that you're like. You got a bonus. We did not. No one like, why are you getting that much money? Like, it's so insane. And I think the fact that it's not going to that, like, there's all an outrage over how she's talking and blah, blah, blah. And that's what I think people are outraged over is like the system that enables this and allows for it. It's like, I guess that's the that's the version in which you're like, cool. Is everyone at that company going to put on a general strike against this? one? Like, no. But maybe like that could be, you know, these are maybe. the moments when we're like, what could work? Because that's that's cancel that. Cancel, cancel capitalism. Yeah, when your CEO is receiving almost four million in incentive pay, uh, which is essentially a bonus, and you are not getting anything, stuff like this really highlights how conditioned we've become to believe that just just by nature of you being hired at a company and being their employee, you owe them everything you owe them every you mm. owe them almost as you owe them as much productivity as much time as you can give them you owe them gratitude you owe them deference you owe them respect you owe them subservience you owe them your life fucking your entire life because they are because they deigned to give you job <laughs> like how lucky you are to be given job by company you should be so thankful that's literally it's deranged it. It's deranged. And you know what I love about what I love about what I've been learning through watching films on this podcast has been or for this podcast in this way has been 
that so many of the, especially particularly the ones made for children, it's like, it is so deeply unfair. And I think as we get older, we lose that sense of fairness. Like it becomes this delusion, exactly what you're talking about of like, we start buying the bullshit more. But when you're a kid and someone's like, cool, like we, we are going to go do some work together. And like, they give you like this much of the chocolate bar and take the rest for themselves. Like you immediately understand what unfair is and it becomes the biggest Mm. force in the world. Like, it's not fair and I will do everything. I will throw the biggest temper tantrum about it because that's natural. Like that's not fair. We have a sense of justice and we lose that. And like, it fucking sucks. It's not fair. We need to, we need to revolt. I don't, I don't, you know, and we're figuring it out. We will. We will. We are. Um, no one thinks before the moment of a revolution or the the years leading up to it, like, you know what? I bet we're probably going to have a revolution in like a decade or so, you know, like the, the no one has those, Maybe some people do, but yeah, history just unfolds the way it is. And people are, you know, people are not putting up with this shit. I was just watching fucking Abbott Elementary, which is a uh, a network sitcom. It's a really, really good one. And Quinta Brunson, the creator, is phenomenal. But I just, my partner is watching it. I just, ca- I just happened to catch like a random five minutes of it. And in it was a joke about capitalism. And I was like, that's awesome. And I don't think we would have seen that five ten years ago and and yes a joke in a network sitcom is not going to break the revolution it's not going to save us but i think the hegemonic hold that capitalism has had on especially the american psyche is starting to break a little bit and especially with millennials and gen z people are starting to be like no 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 no, no. this is bullshit this doesn't work mm-hmm. this is unfair it's slow going who knows how it'll all unfold but i think it, people are not putting up with it anymore i hope so I think we have the battle of of the how, you know, it, like we talk about all the time. It's easy yeah. to see, see the what. And we're all seeking the how. Those are my bit. That's my wise, <laughs> my wise words today. Moving on. I think we have a movie to watch today. We do. We have a great movie or uh, a, uh, an interesting and problematic movie. I, maybe not, I don't want to say great anymore. Uh, before we get to it, though, <laughs> real fast. Just want to let you all know that this podcast is produced by the two of us. Yes, we perform all of the necessary labor to make this show happen. And as we are trying to practice our anti-capitalist values, we don't sell ads on this show. Instead, we rely completely on community support to keep the show going. So if you're able to support us, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. For just $5 a month, you get access to our entire back catalog of premium episodes, and you will be directly supporting this show. You could also leave us a one-time contribution in our tip jar, and you can find all of those links in the episode description in your podcast player or by going to mvcpod.com. You can also help us out for free by leaving a rating and review for this show on your podcast app. It takes two seconds, and it's super helpful in boosting the algorithm and getting this show in front of more people, and we really appreciate it. All right, we are going to take a break, but we'll be right back with our conversation about The Social Network with Jordan Ewell. All right, our guest today is Jordan Ewell. Jordan is a progressive activist, host of the Insurgents podcast, host and contributor at The Young Turks, and contributor and social media manager at The Lever. Jordan, welcome to Movies vs. Capitalism. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Frank. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, Very excited to have you here. I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but when we first met, you told me this story about how you 
would you sue the U.S. Army? What did you do on Twitch? It was I like so. If if, if you don't mind giving the short version of that story, I, like it really was like my introduction to you, and I was like blown away by it. And I think it's like a good uh, entry point for the audience. Yeah, of course. In summer of 2020, obviously we're all stuck inside. I was starting. I started spending a lot more time on Twitch, and while I was there, I noticed that featured prominently on the front page was the Army esports team. So I started poking around because I didn't know they had an esports team and I wanted to know what it was. And, you know, that turned out to be a recruiting effort. And I went into their chat and found that they were doing bait and switch tactics to get kids. I mean, there are kids that visit that site frequently to click a link to enter a contest for an Xbox controller. So I clicked that link, said I was 13, and I looked at the fine print and it was a recruiting form. And wow. there were no, there was no mention of a of a giveaway ever again. It was just, hey, sign up to have a recruiter contact you. But again, I said my age was thirteen, and they accepted it. That violates international law. While I was there, I was also messing around a little bit and asked the recruiter who was on stream what his favorite war crime was, <laughs> and he <laughs> banned me from the chat, which got the attention of Columbia University's First Amendment Center. Uh, who offered to represent me because that's a violation of my First Amendment rights. Did the same thing in the Navy's chat, also got banned. And uh, ultimately, they both had to unblock me and a bunch of other people who were doing uh, similar things in those channels because that's the government. That's that's an arm of a government. Even if you don't like the speech, even if it's not polite, you have a right to voice your dissent, uh, specifically toward the Army. So... Uh, we didn't fully sue them. Thankfully, they relinquished and and unbanned us. But we were we were about to. It was the day before our deadline before we took further action. Wow! So like <laughs> to catch a predator, but army edition, army edition. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Wow! That's amazing. Yeah, I wish we were now. I wish we were talking about like a uh, an army or a war movie because that thematically that would make more sense. But it doesn't matter. We can we can transition smoothly. It's okay because we're talking about the social network, which I guess we could make some comparisons. Sure. Uh, you picked the social network for us to watch. Great choice. This movie was directed by David Fincher, written by Aaron Sorkin, based on the book The Accidental Billionaires by Ben Mesrick. Starring Jesse Eisenberg, Andrew Garfield, Army Hammer, Max Minghella, Justin Timberlake, Rooney Mara, and Rashida Jones. It had a budget of $40 million and grossed $224.9 million worldwide. It was nominated for eight Oscars. It won three for editing, original score, and adapted screenplay. And this tells the story of the founding of Facebook. Set in 2003, it follows Harvard sophomore Mark Zuckerberg, played by Eisenberg, as he potentially steals the idea for Facebook from crew bros, the Winklevoss twins, both played by Army Hammer. The movie follows Facebook's meteoric rise as Zuckerberg befriends the tech celebrity predator Sean Parker, played by Timberlake, and screws his best friend Eduardo Saverin, played by Andrew Garfield, out of his shares of the company. An explosive film. Uh, this movie was... <laughs> Released on October 10th, 2010. This is only six years after the founding of Facebook. So like pretty, pretty soon. Early days. Yeah. For a biopic, like very quick. A little bit of historical context or a little bit more historical context. Uh, Barack Obama is two years into his first term. 
corporations officially become people as the Supreme Court's as the Supreme Court's Citizens United ruling officially prohibited restrictions on independent political expenditures. The Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare, is signed into law, as is the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. Other films released this year include Inception, Black Swan, The Town, and Toy Story 3. And the 2010 midterms see Republicans, fueled by the Tea Party movement, win back the House of Representatives. So a, a very... 2010. Very weird, volatile time for America. So Jordan... Why did you pick this movie for us to watch? The Social Network is a movie I think I've seen more than any other movie. Maybe it's it's between this and Interstellar. Oh, dude, yes, sorry. I, <laughs> Both I rock. Just, I just rewatched. I just rewatched Interstellar. I, 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 continue. So, so did I, and you just revisit it, and you're just amazed at at that film. And I was watching this last night in preparation for today. And I haven't watched in a few years, and my God, do I have a different takeaway from this movie. I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. Yeah. From the first time I watched it in 2010 or 2011, whenever I got around to it, it is just night and day compared to the impression you have of the platform, its role in society, its effects on people, Zuckerberg himself, all the auxiliary characters like Larry Summers and Peter Thiel it's just it's <laughs> remarkable to revisit this in 2023 so I figured this would be a really fun one for us to break down together yeah absolutely no that was my experience totally I mean as you're giving the breakdown Frank for 2010 and I'm just going back I mean my gosh it feels so long ago and it kind of was um but even in watching it it, it all feels inevitable like nothing felt like wow that was a surprise that this total asshole landed us here. I mean, nothing felt, it all felt like it made sense. So I guess in to that point, rewatching it, it didn't feel totally different than my first watch. I'm curious what felt different for you, Jordan. So the first time I saw it, 2010, 2011, I was in college at the time. And Facebook was a big part of how I communicated with my friends, how I kept kept up to date on news. And I was you know, wide-eyed and optimistic about the role of social media in society. I can't remember which preceded it. I think the Arab Spring was just before this, and that introduced me to Twitter. I heard That's how I heard about the platform and thought that was really fascinating. So, wow, there are people overthrowing their governments using this platform. That's really cool. So I think I was more optimistic then than I am now. I mean, now I don't even have a Facebook anymore. So it's, it's as I connect and relate to the platform, that's totally different. The framing of this movie, too, in, again, early 2010s, most of people's understanding of Mark Zuckerberg came from glowing profiles, this movie, and very limited public appearances. And you can see some of those narratives in this movie play out. There's a line they keep repeating. It's, it's repeated at least twice. Oh, Mark doesn't care about money. And that is how so many entrepreneurs, tech figures, and even billionaires frame their wealth to make people more accepting that this person has hoarded that much mm. money. If you truly felt that way, I mean, Dolly Parton is a good example of somebody who very well could be much more wealthy than she is. She is routinely making huge, generous gifts, even to causes and and. and charities she has no direct connection with 
Recently, she gave a bunch of money to California to cover books for students throughout the entire state, just to give students books. You know, she's done a ton of charitable uh, work. I'm not saying like any amount of like what what is the right amount of wealth someone could have. When you're doing things like that versus Zuckerberg, who, despite these claims, he doesn't care about money. He, his philanthropy is to funnel money into his family foundation, which we have seen time and time again as a way for the wealthy to avoid taxes, to you know do things here and there, get their name on things, pat themselves on the back, make it look like they're charitable, but ultimately it's a fancy form of tax evasion. You know, the more we've learned about Zuckerberg over the years through different scandals, through the way the platform has developed, the platform and the company's behavior. For me, it was a very different experience watching it now than it was in the early 2010s. What about for you, Frank? It's interesting hearing you say all that, Jordan, because like this movie clearly paints Mark as an asshole, yet he's still like incredibly smart and incredibly witty. That was the thing that kind of really stuck out to me in terms of uh, anything to make you want to support him as a character was he's like, oh, he's zipping off these one-liners throughout the entire film that just really cut people down. And it's conflicting because of like everything that you just laid out. Also the fact that, you know, we've now seen enough of Zuckerberg on camera to know that like, he is not that guy. Like he is incredibly awkward. He is bad on camera. <laughs> like he always puts his foot in his mouth. Um, he doesn't speak like an Eric and a Sorkin script. He does not speak <laughs> like a Sorkin script. He would be fired from a Sorkin film. Immediately. Although, I mean, we'll get into Sorkin. I was going to say Sorkin might just keep him around just because he loves he loves dudes so much regardless. <laughs> sure, sure. Some some things that stuck out that like still resonated with me is stuff that like this this film really felt like a precursor to kind of, I don't know, I've, the incel movement, for lack of a better term, and everything that transpired over the course of, you know, like 2015, 2016, 2017. This, this movie really had its uh, finger on the pulse with a lot of that stuff. But honestly, the biggest difference, because Jordan, similarly, I loved this movie so much. I think I mentioned this movie on this podcast a few episodes ago saying, like, that's one of my favorites. I, I love rewatching it. And I, I did enjoy the rewatch, but I was really struck by how um, misogynistic all of these characters are. And I wrote down the question, is this a movie about misogynists or is this a misogynistic movie? And that's something that I want to explore in this conversation because I'm honestly not too sure because I, mm -hmm. I, th I think it's a little bit of both. But um, Rivka, what was your takeaway on this rewatch? Yeah, I um, I was sort of along along for I mean, it's so well written. It's it's well done. You know, I like it as a film. I think uh, the soundtrack is amazing. I just think it's a fun movie to watch. Like there's no denying that you're like on for the ride. It's so propulsive. Um, yeah, it's so proposed. The performances are are great, and it's just the it's just a it's a great hero story. Unfortunately, our hero is this fucking total asshole who, like, you know, intellectually, you're not supposed to be rooting for, but by the end, you are. So that was troubling for me, especially given the deep misogyny that's like intrinsic to his whole way of being. In fact, the it's fat. It was really interesting because in terms of how the script is propelled forward the women are serve 
um, the role of like motivating every action of these men, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that is like at every turning point of this script, there is a woman who's either tempting them, taunting them, torturing them, or motivating them to like move forward. And it's just like deeply understood that like the reason that Zuckerberg is doing this is because ultimately he wants um, to get his ex-girlfriend who he totally treated like shit and insulted at the top of the film to come back. So it opens with this amazing scene with him and Rooney Mara, which is just beautiful, great dialogue. And then it closes with a close-up of Zuckerberg having us knowing that he's about, he's like one ultimately Maybe he lost uh, the lawsuits and got people to sign NDAs, but we like he won. He's the youngest billionaire ever. And he's just refreshing the page after trying to friend his ex-girlfriend on face on the Facebook, which is also like fact check because wasn't didn't didn't Mark friend all of us. On the Facebook, wasn't he our first friend? No, that was I think that was, was MySpace. Oh that was no, Tom. That, that was, was Tom. My... Yeah, Tom. That was Tom. Well, <laughs> wow, look, what an asshole! He didn't even want to friend us all. Mm -mm. Tom was nicer. Okay, well there you go. Then I'm wrong on that fact. So I thought that was like a really interesting sandwich. To me, that last scene tells us so much about how we're meant to see the film. Like the movie's POV um, is Rashida Talib set or Rashid Talib. Rashida Jones says, <laughs> "I wish." You're not an asshole, Mark. You're just trying so hard to be. So, like, we're meant to see it, I think, the whole film through that lens. Like, oh, there's just inside he's not a dick. You just have to be in order to succeed. And you know what? He is the youngest billionaire. So, yeah, let's go. Yeah, that that line really stuck out to me on this one because it it does exactly what you says. It it's serves to soften him as a character and as a person and as your protagonist and and to basically negate everything that you just saw him do uh like yeah i know you just watched two hours of this guy being such a piece of shit but actually he's not because one of the four women in the movie said that he wasn't <laughs> but yeah oh god who's serving to motivate him a little bit more like just the last woman in there is going to be like you know what maybe i'm your mommy therapist bye <laughs> Go on, make more billions. That, you know, the Erica framework for this movie, I thought was a clever device just to draw that through line. And it mm -hmm. illustrated how so much of this movie is about, like, him, Eduardo, and a few others ultimately looking for connections, in a, just a meaningful connection in an industry and in a world where we're all atomized. And we're even further atomized now because of Facebook and because of platforms like it. But... You have that friendship dynamic with that line where Eduardo tells, I was your only friend. In reality, they weren't even that close. Like, they weren't close before this. Like, that was just like a narrative device to sh just to really amplify this connection point. But on the misogyny thing, it t t that was my takeaway, too. And again, as I got older and more uh, mature and wise around those types of things in our society, definitely didn't recognize some of these plot points in 2010 as a college student. I should have. But some of the other some of the other moments in this movie have no significance to the plot whatsoever, and it's just Sorkin being a misogynist in his writing, which you see throughout his work, like the newsroom especially. Oh yeah, but like, the Chris the Christie storyline. Mm -hmm. Oh my God! What purpose does the Christie storyline serve in this movie? Her showing up to Eduardo's apartment, burning something, talking about how she sent him dozens of unresponded to texts. Them, you know, him, Eduardo calling her crazy to Mark. They're, they are 
in a position where they could set up the next big social platform. Why are they having that conversation? That has nothing to do with the movie. And yet, Jordan, I think it has so much to do with the movie, whether it's again, I love this question, Frank, is it consciously like, is this about misogynist or is this deeply misogynistic? And I think it's both. But I, I do think like like because I had the same thought, like she's burning down his apartment. Like, why? What is this? But it's needed to again be like fucking women. Like, I'll show them. I'll fucking show her. It's so angry. Like the tone from the top is so horrific. And it's why I do appreciate the score because without it like imagine this film with a different score to me the score at least kind of like pulls out because it's got it's dark and it's got those kind of like moments of like nails on a chalkboard that like pull those features out of it you Mm -hmm. know but like I do feel like it was intent like you can't you can't pull those moments with the women out of the script and have the story still there because everything these men do is motivated by their revenge towards a woman in their life in some way shape or form which if intentional, like there, there's a way to tell that story, I think through a different lens, through a female gaze, if you will, but you would have to tell it differently. And that can still be the story. But all the shots, again, we're excited when we see the scenes with like you cut them back to these women in like the frat house getting coke, you know, off their body and like just like ripping their clothes off. And there's not a single moment of agency for a woman at all in this movie. But yes, I'm with you. I just thought I just like absolutely. Even on the throwaway dialogue, like they're at the Valentine's Day uh, acapella group performance, mm-hmm. and some character who we never see again just has a quick cut down of a woman who talks about how they're singing romantic songs, and he's like, "Yeah, that's right," because Cole Porter and Irving Berlin never had any love songs. Again, what what is the point? Even even the auxiliary characters who again have no significance to the plot are also cutting down a woman. Even Eduardo, who is supposedly, I would say, like the movie's moral center, if there is one in the movie, is also like completely preoccupied with getting laid the entire time. Like he's not as like overtly uh, aggressive or misogynistic towards women, but he's it's like it's like a passive misogyny. You know, like he says at one point, we have groupies. And then there's that at Caribbean night, you know, the line about, why Jewish men are attracted to Asian women. And mm-hmm. and then just also like the way that these female relationships and the whole movie's perspective on women are portrayed is very, like very gross feeling. Like the first Porcellian party sequence just like felt like an advertisement for date rape. And even, mm-hmm. the, even the scene of like Eduardo and uh, Mark like meeting Christy and her friend for the first time and hooking up in the bathroom just felt very like the movie wants you to feel like the like these this is a status that these guys have achieved now like they are they have reached this point where now women will sleep with them in a bathroom and it has nothing to do with them as characters or their relationship that they're developing it's solely like it's like a video game it's like look these guys leveled up to hooking up in bathroom but that is capitalism that is this worldview that is like and and what i think is interesting about it which is why your question was interesting of like what was the intention is like if you're telling this story yeah and and it goes back to what you were saying jordan of like the the zuckerberg character intentionally saying like oh i'm not interested in money but what i'm interested in is fucking women not even having a not even having a relationship you don't even get the sense that he wants a really wants a girlfriend he just wants that attention he wants you to give me the attention that i 
inherently deserve and I'm angry that I don't have. And that's important, right? Because when we think about capital so often, it's like money, money, money. And obviously it's money, but it's also all of those. It's about power. It's about wealth. It's about oppressing others. It's about dehumanizing, you know, genders, races. Like, so I think that's interesting and could have been if that was, I think maybe there's some consciousness of that, but not in the way that we're necessarily discussing. There is, we do have a clip from that first scene, which probably will get a sense of the brilliant anger of our of our dear Zuckerberg. You don't have to study. Why do you keep saying I don't have to study? Because you go to be you. Want to get some food? I am sorry you are not sufficiently impressed with my education. And I'm sorry I don't have a rowboat, so we're even. I think we should just be friends. I don't want friends. I was just being polite. I have no intention of being friends with I'm you. I'm under some pressure right now from my OS class, and if we could just order some food, I think we should... Okay, you are probably going to be a very successful computer person. But you're going to go through life thinking that girls don't like you because you're a nerd. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that that won't be true. It'll be because you're an asshole. Apparently, I read a interview with David Fincher that when he was reading the script, it was that line that made him decide to want to direct the film. That line from Erica. It's a great line, but then they have to reverse it all at the end and be like, you know what? Actually, you're not an asshole. You're just trying to be. You're just trying to be. I I think, Rivka, you, you talked about that through line between that conversation at the bar at the very beginning and Zuckerberg sending her a friend request at the end, you know, showing... Uh, I, I, it was a, again a good a good way to bring it full circle. But what I re, what really stood out about their dynamic, and he sees her again midway through. They're starting to become successful. They're starting to get noticed, and he goes up to her, and you see the same sort of parallels. Even though he's a little bit more remorseful, still seeking her approval, it's still framed as though she's the dumb one here. Right, because she hasn't accomplished this big thing, which you it's important to see this also through Sorkin's eyes and how he sees the world in general. She ends that conversation telling him off, she's at dinner with her friends by saying, Good luck with your video game or whatever. And it's like that's like the classic, like, how could you be so stupid? Like you don't even understand the difference type thing. Like that's just it would infuriate even, you know, a a fourteen year old nerd. Sorkin's misogyny throughout <laughs> his work is really almost kind of lazy and I, I i was thinking back to a clip from january 2019 and the political context there rashida Tlaib, ilhan omar and alexandria ocasio-cortez just got sworn in in congress the squad is now in congress aaron sorkin goes on cnn on on uh, that sunday and was asked about them he called them childish he told them they needed to grow up like these are people who ran on progressive and populist platforms and who have been working largely, you know, some just different conversation around criticism toward the squad and their effectiveness. But generally, I think they mean well and they're well intentioned. And before they're, I mean, they're in there for a couple of weeks and he's on national TV bashing these people who do not fit the standard mold in Washington through their politics and their appearance and their identity. That's a great thing that we should all celebrate. He takes that opportunity as the celebration around them is is loud to again compare them to children and say they need to grow up. And I found I found a lot of parallels in how he portrayed people like Erica who was 
an innocent victim in all of this. She's just living her life. And I'm, we all have met people who went to Ivy League schools who are not that bright. So this inherent <laughs> uh, distinguish, distinguishing point between Harvard and BU is just that the ridiculous misogynistic uh, elitism that you see throughout Sorkin's work. Right. And again, it can be you could see it as like, oh, they're making a point about Mark and that's the way Mark thinks. However, you listen to that back and forth. And and what I do love about Sorkin's writing in terms of craft, it's like he does the tennis match the best. I mean, it's and so you're like, I want I want to be with a person who's going to win. Like you won that round. It feels good to hear that quip at the end. And it's always it's always Mark. And we're meant to think because he's smarter and brighter and that's why he's the youngest billionaire because he's just he is better like love him or hate him he's he's better than the rest of us and this movie takes so many opportunities to showcase how how brilliant his insights were you know like there's the moment when the Winklevosses and uh Divya tell him about their idea for Harvard Connection and they say you know, it's the harvard.edu and you see like the the lights in uh, Zuckerberg's eyes like light up. And, you know, the the scene where um, Dustin comes into the computer lab and is like, hey, do you know if that girl in your class has uh, a boyfriend? And he's like, people don't just wear, you know, people don't just uh, have a sign hanging around them. Like if they're dating someone, you know, just like they're, they portray these moments of sort of like, transcendent brilliance that Zuckerberg has, which I mean, maybe, maybe he did, or maybe he just was like a right time, right place kind of guy. The last thing I want to say real fast about Sorkin, because if anyone thinks that we're being too hard on Sorkin, like Sorkin is notorious for writing female characters incredibly terribly for, I think being bad on set to female actors. And then there was the Sony email hack in 2014 where some of his emails surfaced. And the one that caught him the most flack was basically him saying, like, look, women actors, not as good as male actors. They don't have to do, <laughs> they don't have to do as hard of a job. Uh, and I'm just gonna read a quick quote. That's why year in, year out, the guy who wins the Oscar for Best Actor has a much higher bar to clear than the woman who wins Best Actress. So this guy is documented uh, to be pretty sexist. He's even addressed it. He's even, I, in like 2022, he was like, yeah, I'm going to try to do better. Okay. Okay, Aaron, thanks. <laughs> addressed it like, yeah, yeah, I am a misogynist. What? I mean, it, I did want to say this whole, like the whole vibe of the movie for me felt like Margaret Atwood has this quote, men are afraid that women will laugh at them. Women are afraid that men will kill them. But it was just the first it was just like this whole movie was just the first part of it as like dead serious, like men are afraid that women will laugh at them, not the second half of that, just like and that's very scary. And so <laughs> we're going to use that fear to propel ourselves into being billionaires, but doesn't deal with the fact that, well, the women here are actually the ones who are, you know, getting raped and suffering, you know, are the ones at the hands of all of this, which, you know, is happening at these frat parties and if through Erica and that was not explored at all. Yeah, the film's gender politics, like the filmmaking itself and the the script and the writing don't come down strongly enough to criticize these characters and to condemn them for the behavior and make it clear that this is not okay because it's kind of like it feels like it just runs through um the filmmaking itself as well. Let's we were we mentioned this, but I want to hear from you about the 
the Peter Thiel of it all, the like those those things that are in there that we know. It's just like I I, I guess my I just want yeah I want to hear your thoughts on that, Jordan. So I I I thought these were two characters that actually aged well. Because in the Larry Summers scene, you have the Winklevoss twins going in to say, look, he's stealing our idea. Sure, they're relying on the student code of hand, the code of conduct, kind of a BS argument, but he doesn't understand the significance here. And that framing was right. If that's how that meeting went, yeah, he didn't. He just, oh, just do another one, right? This is a, this is a, a totally unique idea that... Didn't really have a lot of competitors. It was it would totally blew MySpace out of the water. It is colossal. It's a force in all of our lives, whether we like it or not. If that's how the conversation went, Larry Summers not understanding the significance of something remains true today. That is just who he is. <laughs> Peter Thiel, and the he he's inter, he's introduced to Mark in this meeting. They had just shaken hands, and he's ready to screw somebody over. And he's re- he's trying to get Eduardo out of the his only like real line is who is Eduardo Saverin, and that sets up the 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 arc where Eduardo gets pushed out of the company. Peter Thiel being a sleazy piece of shit remains true today. This I thought I thought of all of the characters and how they were depicted, those two were the most accurate. That's so funny that you say that because I. I love the summer scene so much. Like that has always been one of my favorite scenes. And then I remember learning who Larry Summers was like, <laughs> you know, in like the mid 2010s, <laughs> late 2010s and be like, wait, that's the guy from the scene in the social network. Oh my God. Because uh, that scene is so funny. He just owns the Winklevi so hard. And I mean, it, it's kind of like he kind of gets... A, a pretty like rosy portrayal on this. Like if you ha- if you know nothing about Larry Summers, you walk away from this being like, "Damn, that was a pretty cool guy." Like he <laughs> he seems like he makes good decisions, and he does. Any- I agree with you. <laughs> and for anyone in our audience who who is it who doesn't know Summers that well, he's terrible. Uh, he was the U.S. Treasury Secretary. He's one of the country's leading neoliberal economists whose solutions for economic problems almost always involve uh, prioritizing big business and stomping on the necks of the working class. So, like, a fun guy in this Sorkin movie, but, like, a really, real terrible person IRL. You, yeah. you undersold his resume just a little bit. In the run-up to the financial club, the, I think, 80s or 90s, I think it was the 90s, the Clinton administration was trying to regulate derivatives on Wall Street. You know, one of these uh, opaque, abstract financial devices that ultimately led to the financial collapse 2008. The Commodities Futures Trading Commission, headed by Brooksley Bourne, they wanted to regulate derivatives. Larry Summers gathered all of the Wall Street bank heads in a room together, got her on a conference call, and berated her until she relinquished. That had such an outside that one call has such an outsized impact on all of our lives and most people don't understand his role in stopping that regulation that Damn. could have minimized or maybe even prevented the 08 financial collapse wow you mean the guy from the social network <laughs> the guy yeah yeah <laughs> that cool that cool dean he's so chill <laughs> He told them. It was so funny when he told his secretary to punch him in the face. That was hilarious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wasn't he also one of the main architects of the of like the finance of the bank bailouts of two thousand and eight? Right. I At think that he time? was a big tarp guy. 
Yeah. Okay. And, and of course, it, you know, hearing the the context in which this film came out in 2010, that this is when Citizens United ruling um, came out, came down. And then this film is coming out and you're seeing the origins, the beginning of this relationship with Peter Thiel and Mark Zuckerberg. And that was one of those, I think, moments where, wow, being able to watch this now in retrospect at that all happening at the same time and knowing what we know about Facebook and democracy and how how important that would be Citizens United to allow them to do what they do and interfere in our democracy is pretty profound as well in a rewatch that that was like all going down and yeah we're like the Facebook movie on that point Rivka and Jordan I think I told you about this but there was talk a few years ago of the entire creative team of this movie uh reuniting for a sequel uh-huh. about the 2016 election and Facebook's role in that election. And, you know, I would watch the shit out of that movie for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But can you imagine? I mean, ima- that means Sorkin would get a chance to write AOC, right? Probably in some of the... I mean, I'm sure he would. I mean, uh. I guess a couple years Eventually, before... It depends on how they how it goes down. A couple years before her election, but maybe he... But would I'm re- thinking of when she had him on trial. You know, those like viral videos. You know, when, when she got to grill Zuckerberg. Oh, the hearing, right? The hearing, right? Oh, like that would yeah. be... Get his hands on. I mean, I would love to see it, but I'm curious given given our conversation. That's, that's one of my favorite Zuckerberg appearances because I think that's... Is that the one where she like really nails him with a question and his response is like... Oh wow. Um uh oh oh okay. Yeah, not not at all the the quippy zinger man that uh Sorkin portrays in this movie. And truly, if he had better responses, he may have no won America's heart and soul. If they did a reboot, I'm with you, Frank. I would watch it day one, I'd be outside the theater. <laughs> but I would I'd I'd be curious what would make the cut and whether or not we would see this framed as just because it, it really was, if you, if you want to look at the Cambridge Analytica stuff, you could say this is a bad actor exploiting that platform. Mm-hmm. But there were also conversations inside Facebook, algorithmic changes, where all the way going up to him, he was okay with outright lies by politicians being pushed on the platform, despite internal opposition from staff about the effects that that would have. But he was doing that in pursuit of profit and and maximizing gains. Again... Further exposing this whole I don't care about money line being total bullshit. You also have to look at this globally, right? I mean, Facebook was used by uh, was it the Myanmar government to essentially fuel ethnic cleansing uh, of Muslims. There, This is the way that this platform has affected lives and people and communities outside of the United States is incalculable. And it has led to real world harm. I mean, the, this again, ethnic cleansing. I'm not saying that is less serious than January 6th because it's that is much more serious. But all, January 6th separately was also planned and organized largely on Facebook. I mean, these are things that his platform is responsible for. He's faced no real accountability, faced no real punishment because of the way. To go back to the Citizens United point that you made, Rivka. They have, you know, they're involved in almost everyone's campaigns. They are a major force in Washington. They have an army of lobbyists. They're donating 
to all of these different candidates. Hell, even now, sadly, down to the progressive world. There's a progressive conference every year. It just it happened in person last year for the first time. It's called Netroots Nation. It happens every summer. The last in-person event was 2019. I went. It was in Philly. Facebook was a major sponsor. Damn. I mean, they're and they they sponsor right-wing conferences too. So, right. They just buy support throughout the political spectrum. Who's going to hold them accountable? Well, Jordan, you know what they say: you don't get to 500 million friends without making a few enemies. <laughs> that's that's the tagline for the movie just a few enemies oh god well i mean we're not on facebook anymore right guys yeah i had a question for both of you actually just about the way we use this platform and the way it's affected us as people and our connections have have any have either of you dated anyone who was very serious about making your relationship facebook official yes I i believe a college era girlfriend did at one point because we i remember we college era college era that's <laughs> unspecific enough it's nice unspecific but nice yeah, yeah. it's it's nice it's the window who i think did insist that we become facebook official just because you know we needed to make it clear that uh you know un- unavailable goods over here mm. <laughs> what about you two uh jordan that's a great question um you know what came to mind immediately was more just like moments where it would be like this will be funny if we say we're married and then family being like congrats and I'm like what we're not married like you know just like not realizing how seriously the outside world took a status change I also had a cringe memory of you might remember this Frank in college (laughs) like we had some arts class where I made a group of people I don't know what I don't I think it was like a last minute I needed to do something but I made people walk around our campus with like a giant Facebook wall on them and like IRL people had to like write things on their wall. Yeah, that was for our like tech um, and performance class. Oh God. And I had yeah. I, I have that footage somewhere. So that that was honestly a memory I just had. I remember at that time thinking like, whoa, that's like very deep art that Rivka <laughs> is doing. No, I, no, look, like she's making people wear their Facebook profiles in real life. Like Well, I had to sell it. So I remember being like, no, this is I'm making a statement about like, would you say that to their face? Yeah. Or like or like, <laughs> what is what is the what is the digital profile mean when it's actually brought into the real world? Yes. On a real flesh and blood body. Jordan, what was what was your Facebook experience as a young person? So I don't think I dated anybody who was like hell bent on we have to be Facebook official day one. I think it happened just uh, with a couple people again in college uh but after college that was not something i considered or did until i deleted it um but my funniest memory of relating to that feature of the site is there was a guy i worked with at the college bookstore and him and his girlfriend had been dating for years and one day on facebook it said Relationships, relationship status for this guy changed to it's complicated, and I commented, "Hell yeah, he's let's or like hell yeah, this is my time to shine." Something like that, basically, like I'm moving in, and he commented, "Like thanks, man, I'm just really down right now," and I felt so bad, but I didn't know anybody actually used the it's complicated option, like unironically. 
I've never seen that before, other than that one circumstance. Wow. That's, yeah, I've never heard of that before. It was always like the joke uh, status that you could put, like with a friend. Yes. I mean, it it really cannot be understated how important Facebook was when we were college age. I remember when we were freshmen, Rivka, and someone was like, yo, you know, you can get a Facebook now. And just being like, whoa, what is this thing? And it really did. It really centralized our college experience Mm -hmm. online. Like every photo from every event or party went Mm -hmm. up immediately uh you know any event that was happening had its own page like i remember we would just like make like goofy like facebook groups just for fun and you yeah. just like send them around to each other i mean it's pretty beautiful dramatic irony that zuckerberg maybe the real person but definitely in this film was someone who was so status and dr- driven and just wanted the respect of his peers now has this site that like no one gives a shit about anymore. I mean, obviously, obviously it still has like massive, massive usership, all of that. Mm-hmm. But but from where it started, which I actually think is such an important point in this context about the academic elitism. And when we were getting into Facebook and it was like that began, I remember it was like, oh, I have to be in college to be on this. I have to <laughs> pay an obscene amount of money to go to uh, an important school so that I can be on this like better than MySpace, MySpace. And I remember friends where that created this immediate class divide where like I was going to college and you did. Oh, you couldn't be on this thing. So immediately like we, oh, we yeah. were separated from worlds in a very real painful way that uh, was intentional about like creating this class system socially. It was it was disturbing and heartbreaking. And you had to make and it was like, oh well, you have to make choices now. Are you on Facebook now? Or are you on are you still with like everyone on MySpace? Like, ugh, fucked up. Oh, we didn't even mention Face Smash, which I just think if anyone has oh, forgotten, yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean? Just like the origin or the original Facebook, right, was <laughs> Zuckerberg getting uh, shit face and angry at Erica and therefore going home writing a nasty blog post and then deciding to like hack into the system and create this thing called face mash where like you could decide who was prettier who was hotter and it would like almost like almost actually like a tinder kind of now not that you're well you kind of are a little bit a little bit of a precursor to tinder yeah and so then people so gross I mean we we've made all the points around that but I just wanted to remind everyone like extra gross All right, Jordan. Well, this is the point in the episode where we like to give out awards for this film. Our first award is called A Point with a View. This goes to the character with the best politics in the movie. Uh, Erica. Yeah. (laughs) Just living her life. There's no no real inherent difference between an institution's ability to educate and she just wants to be respected and left alone. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, of all of the yeah. female characters, she is the best written in that she has, a, you know, somewhat of her own agency and really doesn't cater to Mark's bullshit and puts him in his place not once but twice. Um, there's also that uh, moment where she defends the door guy and she says he's a perfectly good class of people. So, like, clearly she understands the strife of the working man. Yeah, Erica, absolutely. Our next award goes to... The character with the worst politics in the movie, this is the Despicable You Award. You know, we could give it to like either Larry Summers or Peter Thiel because they have had real world, like massive real world effects like in the world. But if you're just like going with like one of the lead characters, probably Sean Parker, Justin Timberlake, 
who we haven't even really talked about at all, but like oh, wow. is just a, like a like a predator, just like a coked up predator in this movie. And it's like from the beginning that we meet his character, it's like, you know, that you know, there's like some shit out there about that guy and, you know, the way he parties and like he dates underage girls. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give it to Sean Parker on this. In real life, how close to because I, I didn't I don't know much about Sean Parker. How close to real life is that shittiness of a is he? I, I looked it up last night. Uh, so that party happened years later. It wasn't like the night that they hit one million oh, okay. users. Um, and it was, yeah, it was with his assistant. It didn't get it. The, the ages weren't brought up. I, th- I would imagine her identity was withheld in this report. I was also curious about the age dynamic because like, the framing when you first meet him is he's sleeping with a college girl. He's like, oh, I don't go to school. Uh, Napster was a big part of my childhood as it was, I'm sure, for for you two as well. So I was just curious generally because I remember a younger guy doing it. He was 24, 25. If, if that interaction happened when it did in 2003, 2004. Uh, but then obviously as the site got older and his involvement got deeper, I think that party happened in the late 2000s. So he would have been okay. closer to 30 then. I'm going to give it to Peter too. Oh man, it's a t- if we if we're only limiting it to things in the movie, it's Zuckerberg. Just because he's <laughs> he sucks. Everything about what he's done and what he's created and what he's defended sucks. The this the decisions he's made as CEO, I mean, you have to blame him for everything Facebook has done. He that's that's your role as CEO, right? You're last to take, you should be last to take credit and first to take blame. Yeah, I'm CEO, bitch. Right, exactly. With with that power comes responsibility. If we are looking beyond just the contents of the film, it's Larry Summers. Larry Summers is responsible for so much financial distress and economic hardship on so many people in this country. And even now recently, that he, he's not even in a position of power. In this current inflation fight, Larry Summers is doing, you know, Skype hits on CNBC from some lush, you know, island resort as a backdrop talking about how we absolutely must need to get unemployment up if we really want to tamp down on inflation. (laughs) Just like absolute psychopath. But Larry Summers never ordered two rounds of apple teenies for the table. Which, <laughs> which is one of the most unhinged moves I've ever seen in my life. So I think. Okay, one of my favorite random facts was that so Zuckerberg hated this movie and the portrayal of him, but he says they got the clothes right and he never had an apple teeny before, but then saw the movie, decided to try an apple teeny, and then decided, like, I guess this was like a power move, decided like apple teeny is now his drink. Appletini is good now. What a red flag. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> I know. So, and even Christy was like, no, I, he's like, you're wet, baby girl. And she's like, no more. <laughs> no more Appletinis. Oh, God. What do you think of Justin Timberlake in that part? I still think it's one of the best pieces of stunt casting in film history. Cause like he is, yeah. he is fine. He's just fine. Like in the film, like act, acting, <laughs> acting wise, but his presence as Justin Timberlake in 2010 and like like yes. Fincher and Sorkin they've all talked about this like they they specifically cast him because they wanted someone who had that like celebrity aura to portray mm-hmm. Sean Parker because they needed that guy to like walk into the room and just like everyone just be like holy shit who is that guy and I mean this is yeah this is 2010 Justin Timberlake you know sexy back like absolutely 
Um, but no, he's just fine. Uh, I liked him. He was he he was extremely unlikable. Uh, so I I thought his performance was was good. I, yeah, I agree with with Frank. At the time, I mean, he was putting out music semi regularly, and most of it was well received. Later, I learned about the other side of the story with the Janet Jackson halftime performance, and I think that jaded a lot of people's impression of him in his career. And then more did it? about his relationship. I, I mean, with I guess some people it should have, but I think he. I, yeah. I don't think it really did. I think that's again where you're like, wow, still, still can do whatever he wants. You know, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't until it wasn't like an- still can walk around with a Time's Up pin. You know. All right, Jordan, our last award is... Oh, sorry, Ripka, what did you think of him in the movie? Oh, yeah. That, I mean, you know, at the time, I think I probably, so embarrassing, thought he was hot, you know? <laughs> kind of, it's like, ew, ew. He's very hot in this movie. That's like a lot of the 2010s, I feel like, ooh. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Next award. <laughs> the final award is A Star is Scorned. This goes to the supporting character that this movie should actually be about. Okay, I have one. In a fun context, do you remember that scene where they go to the scene where Bill Gates is speaking? <laughs> and I'm not going to say Bill Gates. Bill Gates is, that's, I'm not, don't worry. But, and fun fact, it wasn't Bill Gates. I was like, did they get Bill Gates? It was a Bill Gates, like, lookalike, like the the best Bill Gates lookalike who really looks like him. But then there's that there's a guy that comes out after when they're like leaving and he's like, did you know the guy said that Bill Gates should be like you? He looked at you and he was like, you you should be the next Bill Gates. Like, who was that? And they're like, it was Bill Gates. That guy. <laughs> that guy got my attention. I want I want his movie. What's his what's his experience of Harvard? You know? Yeah, definitely. Like you were saying, Jordan, one of the Harvard dumb guys, like <laughs> clearly not that bright. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Not everyone. His dad's his dad's probably a mega donor. Mm-hmm. He's a legacy admit. I want to see the movie of all of the lawyers on their lunch break. Like, I want the like the three act play of, you know, they're just on their lunch. and They're like, can you believe these fucking kids? <laughs> like, can you believe this bullshit? This is so ridiculous. These kids just fighting over it. Like, how is this thing even this? How did this thing even get this popular? I don't understand any of it. I want like their legal perspective of how absurd this whole story is so i can't remember i know dustin moskovitz is in the movie but i can't remember if chris hughes is in the movie very briefly so chris hughes has i think one of the more interesting post facebook career trajectories and i would like to see a little bit i think maybe the building the site could have been interesting some sort of you know we're seeing all these movies be made now right the development of tetris and how the united states is coming to save the day uh i just saw a preview for the blackberry movie like th- how they get these products the development process oh and how they take the these BlackBerry products to market movie? that one actually looks good it's like jay baruchel and glenn howerton like it actually looks wow. decent okay. i'd watch it but is that the title no it's i think it's just called blackberry i can't remember but i, I think a product development movie could be good I, the lazy answer for me is Eduardo. Just the other side of the story where you have Mark Zuckerberg purely as the villain and how this guy is being pushed out. Also, allegations of insider trading is how he made his money. So maybe that whole side of it, too. Oh. That could be a good story. Okay. Also, my fellow Latino Jew. I was like, I was like, wait a minute. 
Andrew Garfield, I didn't know you were Latino and Jewish. You could play him in the in the gender swapped uh, Eduardo biopic. Why is it got to be gender swapped, Frank? Because he's a guy. I'm just saying, like, if we were going to like, if we were going to do like, oh, the, I got you. I got you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're going to do like the, you know, the Kate Blanchett as Bob Dylan thing. But you're oh, you're Eduardo. That's a take. Yeah. yeah. All the faces of Eduardo. Yeah. <laughs> I did think Andrew Garfield was. I mean, I think he's fucking unreal in mostly everything he does, but yeah, it was so just so fun to revisit this. And he's so young and he's so good. And like. I mean, his explosion scene, that's an all-timer. That's like, you know, that'll be that'll be the first clip on his Oscar moratorium reel, you know, is just when he slams the laptop and he's just like, you better lawyer up. So good. Mm-hmm. Well, that is it for the awards. For our listeners, if you have any ideas for new awards, you can email us at moviesvscapitalism at gmail.com. All right. Before we wrap up our convo, we love to talk to our guest about how us as people, as artists, um, what we strive to do to practice our values in our own lives, be it anti-capitalist values um, or whatever you want to share. How how do you live this even in, in life with all its complexities and contradictions? Is there a practice you engage with that you would like to share with us? Now, I'd have to check my membership status. It may have lapsed and need to renew, but I mean, I think the first thing people should do is is join DSA. Uh, I joined several years ago now. I think it may have lapsed, but I need to do it. Um, I, other than that, any any sort of monetary component, I'm not a big consumption as a value or political expression kind of guy. Um, I know this is a film podcast, but I don't subscribe to the, you have to see this movie because it's going to advance X, Y, and Z, you know, cause or anything. It is purely down to your individual behavior and how you treat other people. If you subscribe to the idea that we're, we are all equal and we are all united in a common struggle, living that way supporting people who are trying to unionize, supporting people who are experiencing homelessness, supporting people who are hungry, however you can to the best of your ability, you know, and then and the list of issues goes on and on. Taking care of, I mean, it's, it's like, it kind of is like childish stuff, but like it, we've forgotten it as we got older and we've forgotten it collectively mm. as a society, literally just taking care of the planet. Like I, I refuse to, I refuse to have a car. I don't need one. They're so. I'm like. I think that's probably the biggest thing. Actually, it's that's being anti car. Yeah, I hate it. I hate cars so much. It is it the just the emissions that you create as a person. And this again isn't to say that individual behavior is going to solve climate change, but like I, I don't want to be part of that system anyway. So it really is. It, it's it's volunteering when you can. <laughs> My partner's gonna kill me because we've been volunteering in secret. <laughs> just, she she was volunteering before me in secret for like months before she asked me to come with her at a food kitchen by uh, her place in Texas. Just it's it's things like that, and then fighting for the change that you want to see. Checking out isn't an option, and if you are somebody mm. who 
claims to be or says they are anti-capitalist, they are leftist, they are socialist, you cannot also simultaneously shroud your ideology in a defensive layer of irony. Like I'm so fucking tired of that. Because that detachment and that nihilism isn't going to solve anything. It's only going to make things worse. And big polluters, Wall Street, Big Pharma, all of these corporate and social evils that people like that profess to hate, the military-industrial complex, they're just going to walk right over you. You think they're going to see your ironic detachment and think, oh, better not go there. That guy's edgy. No. (laughs) They want you to feel that way. They want you to feel that way so it is easier to defeat us. Mm, Awesome. Yes. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, Jordan, where can our audience find you and your work? Uh, The Insurgents podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Uh, Theinsurgents.substack.com to sign up and get emails. I'm at at Jordan Yule on Twitter. Uh, and you can find me tweeting at Lever News. That's, a- if you- <laughs> That's right. Jordan does a fantastic job running the Lever's <laughs> social media accounts. Uh, you can follow him there and all the other places. Uh, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. This was, I love yes. this conversation. Same. Thanks for having me. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you've been enjoying the show, please consider becoming a supporter. You can find all of that info at mvcpod.com. For next week's movie, we'll be watching the 1992 Disney classic about the newsboy strike of 1899, Newsies. Thanks, everyone. Bye.